This is the Ellensburg Angler Podcast. Quote in. Quote in. <laughs> Stud on the squalor, baby. Oh, that was a big fish. Woo! This is a six-pound fish, dude. At all costs, do not drink the water. <laughs> Stud fish. Stud fish. Oh, he's right. Look at that. When yeah. I get hangry, yeah, fish is done. How's it going, Kyle? Going good, Keegan. Going good. How are you? Doing good, man. How are you doing during this time? Doing good. Trying to stay busy. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, it's crazy. I went to the store yesterday and crazy, man. And people in gloves, people in face masks. Yeah, in the last week, in the last week, there's definitely been an increase in people using masks and people trying to do large walking loops around you <laughs> yeah for sure yeah. i was i was out walking on the sidewalk yesterday and uh whenever i uh, came by somebody people are like getting like way off of the crosswalk like just to get away from it it's like dang this is serious and it, it is serious uh but it definitely hitting home when you're actually when you're when you see it yeah for sure um yeah i was at fred meyer the other day and it was i went early in the morning it was like i think 7 30 ish and I didn't know, but Fred Meyer did a, they're doing like a seniors only or 50 plus only shopping time. Yeah. From 6.30 to 8 or 7 to 8. And I was like the only person under 30 in there. <laughs> and I felt, I felt pretty out of place. And I didn't know until on the way out, I saw the sign facing into the store and I was reading it as I was walking out. I was like, oh, okay, I understand now. Gotcha. Yeah. I thought people under 30 became a minority. <laughs> oh, dang. <laughs> dang. That's crazy. Yeah, it's getting crazy. But out of everything else, it's just weird not going to the river. Jordan and I, my girlfriend and I went down to the, we have a cabin, a family friend's cabin on the river here in Ellsbury. We went down there today and it was, the river looks pretty good. I like the flow this morning. It was like 1100 and it just looks really good to weight fish, but you can't can't touch it so yeah yeah uh part, department of fish and wildlife just announced yesterday that uh, all fishing will be closed until may 4th um i guess unless there's some kind of something else comes up but as of right now no fishing until may 4 here in washington so kind of a bummer but hey man uh we might as well take uh take this seriously and take these precautions and try to get over this whole, this whole deal before, uh, before it gets any worse. And, uh, hopefully we'll get back on the water as soon as we can. Yeah, for sure. And hopefully we see all the same people on the river. I hope that none of the people we usually see on the river are affected by this, you know, anybody that we know personally or any of their family members. So hopefully everybody gets back out there healthy and well, hopefully by summer. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Hoping everybody's staying safe and healthy right now and we'll get through it. Yeah. Figure it out. So Kyle, what uh, what are we going to talk about today? Yeah, so today we're going to kind of talk about the Yakima River. The Yakima is, uh, I guess we could call it like our, our our home fishery. That's kind of our home base. That's where we do uh, most of our guiding here at Ellensburg Angler. Um, we said in previous podcasts, our shop is located right on the river, and uh, we're pretty tapped into this fishery just about year round. So just going to give you guys a pretty brief overview of what the Yakima is and what it has to provide. Yeah. So to start, we'll kind of talk about high river to low river, um, just kind of a general overview. And in future episodes, we're going to kind of break down each section for you guys. But as a general overview, it, the river runs through central Washington. Um, the section that we fish is an 80 or a 78 mile section of river. It's considered the blue ribbon trout stream section. So um, it's selective rules, single hook barbless, um, and no bait it starts at the top of the the east slope of the of snoqualmie pass um at the reservoir the top of the pass that's catchless dam um or reservoir and it flows out of that and meets up with a couple couple other tributaries that we're going to break down in some future episodes for you guys we'll leave that for then um and then it runs through the town of cleelm eventually and then down towards us in ellensburg which is kind of the biggest city that is along the Blue Ribbon Trout Stream, uh, or the Blue Ribbon section, and that's where a lot of guides call home base. Uh, and then south of us starts heading south, and it goes through um, the Yakima River Canyon, and then that's where it flows down to Rosa Dam. And Rosa Dam is kind of the end of the Blue Ribbon Trout Stream, so 
from the top of the pass to Rose Dam, it's, it's about 78 miles, or at least that's what we tell people. I'm sure it's maybe a little bit off from that, but that's a good rough estimate for you guys, about 78 miles of great fly fishing water. So, yeah, it's a little breakdown on the length of the river and what we, what you guys can expect. Yeah, absolutely. And and you can fish below Rosa Dam, uh, but like Keegan said, that uh, from Rosa Dam all the way upstream, that's considered your blue ribbon trout fishing where it's managed for a larger population um, a little bit better trout fishing, better habitat for salmon steelhead. Then down lower, there are trout, there are salmon steelhead. Down lower, they come up from the Columbia because the Yakima dumps into the into the Columbia Tri Cities. Got a lot of bass, carp stuff down there. You can you can fish below Rosa, but just realize that it's managed for those cold water species above Rosa Dam. Yeah, yeah, and it's all all catch and release, and that's seventy eight miles a section. So. We, uh, we treat every fish with care and we put it back in the river for the next day. So that's also another big Absolutely. rule. I don't know if that also implies with selective rules, but, um, but yeah, all our fish are catch and release here on the, on the blue ribbon trout section. So. Absolutely. And then, so in the Yakima, we have our two main target species are rainbow and cutthroat. Um, and throughout the section of the river, you get a little bit bigger population of this certain type of target fish. So, um, upper river, you usually tend to see more cutthroat. And then as you work, work your way down, uh, in, into the lower parts of the river, you're going to see kind of a shift into more populated rainbow trout sections. Um, but those are kind of our two main species. And then Kyle can kind of shed a little bit of light on the, our secondary species we have in the river as well. Yeah. So like you can say cutthroat and rainbow, uh, we also see a few cut bows. Oh, yeah, so, yep. Um, they're like a hybrid between a cutthroat and a rainbow. Um, they kind of have attributes of both. Um, Keegan probably backing up on this. I feel like cutthroat themselves don't jump as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they kind of stay down deeper. Um, and I've, re- I've personally uh, felt like I've noticed how a cut bow stays, tends to stay deeper. They don't jump like a rainbow, but they get fat and big like a rainbow. Mm-hmm. So they kind of have I did different attributes from um, each of its species. Uh, so yeah, cut bows, we have those. Uh, we have whitefish. Whitefish are a common bycatch here on the Yakima. Uh, there is a, actually a whitefish season in the wintertime, uh, like but during their spawn or like pre-spawn, uh, but they're a common catch year-round, common bycatch. Uh, we also have uh, northern pike minnow. We'll catch a few of those during the warmer months of the year. The squawfish. Uh, and then... The squawfish. Also known as the squawfish. We'll catch a few of those. Uh, they're a predatory fish. And then up here in this section of the river, we also have smaller bait fish like sculpins. Um, we also have uh, some species of salmon. We have coho. We have some chinook salmon that come up. And we have sockeye. And we do have a few steelhead moving up the river. Uh, and at different times of year, we'll either have the adults coming upriver or we'll have the smolt going downriver. And uh, sometimes we'll come across them in one of their, one part of their journey. And uh, yeah, there's a bunch of different life here in the Yakima yeah. River. It's a pretty cool ecosystem. Uh, I think people underestimate it. I like to call it the, well, I've always heard of the canyon as like the hidden gem of Washington. Because it's off I-90. Um, and usually people look like they're heading into it and they're going into I-90. Going- you know, east on I-90, and then they hit Ellensburg, and they hit, they head even more east. So they never really get the chance to to go check out the canyon. So, uh, yeah, if you ever head into Yakima, take the Highway 80, or 8, 821, the alternative highway to 82, and take a drive to the canyon. It's a pretty cool, pretty cool spot. But, yeah, the Yakima is a cool, cool river, man. Very cool. Yeah, for sure. Real quick to point out as well, the further down the river you get towards Rosa – um, you tend to see a few more fish per mile. Yeah. Uh, in the upper river, I know, what would you say that distribution is like, Keegan? Um, I mean, you're right on that one. The upper river, you're going to see less amount of fish, but like what I like to say, you're going to see more cutthroat upper river. You're also going to see usually sometimes a better, uh, I kind of go back on that. I've said for a long time that as you go more upper river, you're going to catch a bigger size fish. Like a, a lot of, I take a lot of people up river that want to catch like a nice cutthroat like a bigger cutthroat, closer to 20 inch cutthroat. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've kind of gone back on that because we caught a lot of nice, nice fish in the farmlands and in the canyon in the last year. Um, but I would say 
you're right on that one. Upper river, you're going to have less fish. And then lower canyon, you're going to, as you make your way down the river, you're going to start catching more. Or you're going to have a larger distribution of fish. Um, yep. But upper river, I means if I was going to give it a number, I'd say it's like 800 to 1,000, maybe 1,200 fish per mile in the upper river. And then as you hit the canyon, I always like to say like 1,300 to 1,400 fish per mile. Uh, but yeah, it's absolutely. one of those things that I haven't seen numbers on for a while. And it's just something that I, I, something I experience on the river and numbers I've heard in the past. Um, so, I mean, I think every guide is going to give you a little bit different numbers, but around that, that number range is probably pretty accurate. So, yeah, I would have to agree. I would have yeah. to agree. And then what we're going to do for you guys too, is that we're going to publish this. Uh, when we publish this episode, we're going to throw a few of the things we talk about onto our show notes. So, um, there's a map in here of the whole river, the Blue River Trout section that we fish, and we're going to throw that on there for you guys. So if you're listening to the podcast, you can pull up that map next to the uh, next to the podcast from your computer or your phone. You can kind of see what we're talking about, a visual as we talk. Um, so you guys will have access to that. So, Yeah, and those show notes can just be found on our website at ellensburgangler.com. Um, in the blog, we'll say episode, title, and number have the show notes there and have everything posted um, onto the blog. So you can go ahead and just have a reference while you're listening to the podcast. And pretty much everything we talk about, we have a visual for. So if there's something we missed, definitely reach out and um, see if we can get that information to you. So. Absolutely. Um, Kyle, you want to talk about, um, I know we're going to go into different sections of the river in the future, but you want to talk about like what passes are needed? Yeah, for sure. So there are, uh, about three different passes you'll need here on the river. Um, two will get through most of, most of your uh, most of your spots. We do have a few uh, few launches that are run by the state, and you'll either need a Discover Pass or your vehicle access pass that comes when you purchase your license, and that'll get you in the most of the state managed sites. Um, you'll also need some kind of uh, federal pass. We have a lot of BLM access, uh, like Umtanum in the Canyon, Big Pines, Rosa. Those are all BLM. And to pay for those, you can either purchase uh, a pass. Uh, I personally buy the federal lands pass every year, and that gets me into any federally managed land is that, anywhere in is the that country. The, sorry, Kyle. Is that the, is that the America Beautiful, the Beautiful Pass? America the Beautiful Pass? Okay. Yes. Where do you buy yeah. that? Uh, you can go online and order it and they'll send it to your house or you can just go to any um, like forest station, any ranger station and tell them you want to buy that. You'll just fill out a little paperwork and you'll pay that. It's $80 up front, um, but that really quickly pays for itself. Yeah. Uh, the canyon yeah. pass to the Chamber of Commerce is the alternative. I know you're going into this, but the alternative is the private yeah. canyon pass to like Chamber of Commerce. I think a couple of fly shops sell it in town. If you get that, it's 25 bucks. So if you're using more than the canyon, you're, yeah, you're right. You're probably, it's probably worth your dough. So. Yep. Otherwise, yeah, you got the miracle beautiful. You got the Canyon pass. Otherwise you're paying five bucks for every time you're launching or taking out or even just parking. They're going to charge you five bucks and they do patrol those parking lots constantly throughout the day. So if you think you can get in there and get out before they, before they uh, find you, you're not going to oh, make it, man. Yeah. Uh, you're right, dude. I'll add on to that too. Is if, you're one of those people that's just coming over for the weekend. You got, you're a weekend warrior. You can pay. I think it's five bucks. So if you only have, you're coming in one day and you want to push the outcome for one day, you're passing through or something. Um, you don't have to buy the passes to park there. They have the $5 cash fee and the envelopes and everything at each BLM site. It, it's at every BLM site, isn't it? Or is it just, just yeah. the camp? Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. everyone. Okay. And they, yeah, yeah, it's everyone. Uh, those are really the only ones you have to pay a fee for there. Uh, there's a couple private launches that you have to pay a fee for, or at least one. You have to pay a, like a $10 launch fee at Bristol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of you to pay. And then they're private launches. Uh, yeah, and the KOA is like a $5 Yeah, yeah. Fee. if you launch at our shop, KOA is 5 bucks, And then Bristol Upriver, that's a $10 launch fee. Um, but for BLM's sake, it's only in the canyon, really. So that's why they call it the Canyon Pass. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then, of course, your vehicle access pass and your discover pass, you're going to have to purchase prior to coming to the river. You have to display that so that uh, Fish and Wildlife officers, when they come in, they'll see that on your dashboard and they'll be uh, perfectly fine. 
Um, but you got to purchase that prior to yeah. showing up. And I, so yeah. those are your tasks. So state passes, BLM pass, and then if you do go to one of the private launches, you need that private uh, yep. launch yep. and pass. Red yep. that fee. Um, and then just to give you guys a <clears throat> just a warning, if you do get caught parking BLM, I think it's a pretty hefty fine. I don't know how much it is. Do you know how much it is? Um, I've never heard of anybody. I think, it, I, I think it's, I think it's just the price. I, I think it was like your first time or something. I think it's just the price of the envelope. Uh, I mean, or, or, or like the, the parking fee, like they'll just put a parking fee on your dash and say, pay this by uh, this date or we're going to write you a okay. big ticket. Um, so they, they kind of give you a break, but they're like, yeah, we know that you're parked here. We got your information. If you don't pay the parking fee, then we will come after you and you will pay a yeah. much bigger fee. And it's not, <laughs> we don't work for BLM. So we're, this is a warning. <laughs> they might give you a warning. <laughs> yeah. This is this is a friendly yeah. warning from your the folks at yeah. Ellsbury Angler. And and, and it, we want to pay like we want to pay our parking fees and we want everybody else to because that money goes back into managing those sites. That's helping to pick pick up trash, clean bathrooms, um, make sure the boat launches are fairly nice. Like that money actually goes back into um the sites that we use. And if we keep using those sites, but don't pay the fee, they don't have any money. Those sites are going to go downhill really fast. So we just want to make sure that we're supporting um, the, the agencies that are helping to uh, prolong the life yeah. of those sites. We want more volunteers. We don't want less. <laughs> so exactly. Yeah, do your exactly. part in the river and, and pay the fee. So um, I know exactly. we had a guy at KOA that did that a couple weeks ago that he parked his rig we have a little gravel lot above KOA where people sometimes will park and hike above KOA to do some wade fishing or use it as like a parking ride. And a guy parked his truck and trailer above KOA without paying the fee. And he just launched his boat at our launch. So he basically launched his boat and then pulled out of KOA and parked above to avoid your $5 fee. So we really appreciate if you pay the fee and it just helps us keep that launch open too. And for any, any launch that you have to pay, just might as well pay it. So they exactly. everybody a little bit of heartache. So one more tip for you guys too, is if you're coming to the Yakima, make sure you have your fishing license. Um, fishing license can be bought um, at Bymart in Ellensburg and also at Fred Meyer. I believe those are the only two places in Ellensburg you can buy a fishing license. Um, for Cleelum, do you know anywhere in Cleelum you could get a pass or a fishing license? I, I do not know in Cleelum where you can. Um, but yeah, you got to make sure you have that license with you. Um, on hand uh, in case we get checked if, if you're with us in case we get checked if you're by yourself in case you get checked uh, one thing they started doing for guides this year is that we required to take down your wild id number and uh, make sure you have your license on you and with you and uh, so yeah you just want to make sure everybody has their license you never want to be out there without a license um, and if you i mean i know this happens a lot we have a lot of clients that come over and maybe they took a friend's car and they don't they forgot left their license in their car if you don't have a physical copy of it you can just go to fred meyer by mart print a copy out i think it's like nine bucks or something like that for a new copy and you're good to go that nine dollars is going to be better than a big fine from fish and wildlife so just make sure you have that on you and make sure you take the measures to get another yeah. copy of yeah. your license and we we only have a few wardens for the county but they're when you're fishing the acme you're probably fishing at a um a popular time or especially if you're coming from the west side or from out of state, you're going to want to fish it at a good time. So I can guarantee you the wardens are going to be out because they know it as well. Uh, and exactly. Yakima, the Yakima River is, I would say, the most popular water source um, and water recreation area in Kittitas County. So um, the, the wardens patrol is pretty heavy. So try to avoid that fine. We're looking out for you guys and just make sure you're safe on the river. So yeah. Absolutely. Um, so do you want to go into talk about a little bit of gear and tactics? Um, just general gear and tactics we use on the river? Yeah, so I guess we'll start with uh, what kind of rods we're using. Uh, most of our fishing, we use four, five, and six weight rods. Um, your four and fives are lighter rod, and we're usually fishing those when we're fishing lighter rigs. So when we're fishing dry flies, when we're fishing uh, maybe a light dry dropper setup. Um, I know I personally run a five and a six weight in my boat for clients. Uh, my five weight, like I said, it's all dry fly or dry dropper. And then my six weight, since we are throwing a heavier nymph rigs with an indicator weight and maybe multiple flies, that six weight, that size up is going to give a little bit more backbone 
uh, four throwing uh, those heavier rigs. And then four, would you maybe if you hook some of those bigger fish, you've got a little bit more power. I wouldn't go much lower than a four weight because then you do have the opportunity of hooking some big fish here on the Yakima and you don't want to be undergunned and uh, either lose that fish or fight that fish so long and get stressed out. And then we don't really want to go much above a seven or an eight weight um, because then you have just, you you don't have any play from those fish. You're, you're just making it. Yeah, it's too overkill. You don't want to have something too big, but you want something too small. So that kind of medium range, uh, your average trout rod range is, yeah. is perfect. And if you've ever been in Ellensburg, you felt the wind. It's like our, our, oh, yeah. it's our theme in Ellensburg, really. So make sure yeah. you have a rod that you can, has a little bit of backbone so you can get through the wind. Because um, we've experienced thousands of times. We look at the, I know us guys, every night before a trip, we always look at the weather. <laughs> How much is going to blow it Yeah, around? absolutely. If it's at a certain, a certain, you know, level of wind that we're not feeling comfortable with taking clients out in, we're going to cancel um, or try to reschedule. So you're going to want a rod that has a little bit of backbone. So that's a good thing to remember. So you're going to want a rod that can get through the wind because you do deal with a lot of wind in Ellensburg. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, one thing that sometimes will help with uh, the whole wind situation is we do like to run a weight forward line and that really helps to get your flies out um, give them a little more distance, um, and that will really help you when it does get windy. Um, Especially if you're uh, weight fishing. We do a lot of fishing from boats, so you're a little bit up higher, and you can get your flies down a little bit easier since you're standing a little bit taller. But when you're weight fishing and you're wading in you know, thigh-deep water, you're going to be wishing you had a forward, uh, a forward weight fly line. So, a weight forward fly line. So. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, we're fishing the dry flies, fishing the nymphs. We also will fish streamers. And so that's when you're also going to have those heavier rods or six, seven weight rods, um, with either a sinking polyglitter or a full sinking line to get your streamers down to depth where the fish are going to be at. Um, those can sometimes be good, especially if you're fishing in the wind, that'll help you get your flies out further. Um, and that'll help punch through that wind. But yeah, that wind and kid attests a huge deal. It comes up. Uh, quite often um, there are ways we can get around that and you know, places that you guys can access uh, either by boat or by walking in where the wind is a little less strong. Uh, but I know that when we're guiding, if we see that the it's forecast to be a really strong day, we will call and either reschedule or do something to make sure that you have the best opportunity to catch fish on the Yakima um, because it's, it's going to be hard one for, uh, you guys are even for us to fish and it's going to be hard for us to row the boat or to even want to be outside on the yeah. water. And so if it gets too windy, then it's too windy. There's nothing really you can do except find a less windy yeah. day to fish. And I know a lot of people that get in our boats have never touched fly rods before. So learning how to fly fish is hard on its own when you have a 25, 25 mile per hour headwind. <laughs> it's uh, it's yeah. even more difficult. So if we can reschedule, we will do it. Yeah, absolutely. And we've done it before. It's kind of a normal thing. It just yeah. comes up. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Kittitas Valley, it's going to be windy. If it's not windy, it's yep. something wrong. Yeah. Did you talk about polyleaders at all when you were talking about sink, sink tips? Okay. Yeah, a little bit. So polyleaders, uh, if you know what a polyleader is, um, they're like a sink tip that you can combine to any fly line to give yourself a sinking tip line. So... Uh, personally, if I have to go out with one rod, like one setup for the Yakima, I'm probably going to take a five weight rod and I'm going to have that with a weight forward flowing line so I can fish dry flies, dry dropper, or nymphing off of that line. But I'm also going to bring a, poly, a sinking poly leader with me. So I can take my floating leader, I can take my nymph leader off, and I can attach my poly leader loop to loop connection to my fly line. And now I have just created a sinking tip line. So I'm a little more versatile. I don't have to carry around multiple spools or multiple rods. And you can get these uh, sinking polyleaders in different lengths and at different uh, sink rates. So you can fish um, longer leaders, shorter leaders, and get uh, where you want your streamer in the water column. Um, Orvis has a bunch of these on their website. Or if you go into the store in Seattle or Bellevue, and you can find those different polyleaders. And the, the guys there at the shop, they'll help you... Uh, pick out the right one that you need and uh, they'll set you up for being a little more versatile while you're on the river and not have to carry around all of your yeah. gear at once. Another good thing to touch on too is that 
a poly leader is a great alternative to a sinking fly line or sinking sink tip fly line because, or if you have, if you have a tight budget. So when I started fly fishing, exactly. I had a little bit of money to spend on fly gear and the rest had to go to the essentials in life. And uh, a poly leader is a great way. It's, you're going to spend a little more time trying to exchange it in and out, but it's a cheaper way to do it. If you can only take two fly rods with you, if you want an imp rod and a dry fly stick and then a three minute, three minute interchange to move your poly leader onto your fly line, uh, or, or on your dry fly rod, you, you're throwing streamers now. So, uh, it's a good way to keep your, if your budget is small, it's a good way to keep fishing. So, so we're talking about switching from dries and nymphs to poly leaders. When you're throwing uh, a dry fly, what, what's your dry fly leader setup look like? Um, when I was younger, I'd always run the nine foot, uh, nine foot fly line or the nine foot uh, tapered leader. Um, mm-hmm. I, I throw a nylon leader. Um, I use the Orvis seven and a half foot nylon leader is the one I'm running now. And I use the seven and a half foot leader just because you get a quicker turnover um, with your flies, you can be a little bit more right to the point with your with your cast. So with a nine foot leader, especially in the wind too, it's going to be hard to put your flies in a certain area or a certain spot. The wind, it's going to be easier for the wind to grab it and take it away, or put it three or four feet away from where you're trying to put it. Um, you have more control with the seven and a half foot leader, um, especially when you're throwing big dries and you're trying to attack a bank from a drift boat. And that's what we do a lot on the rivers. We attack the bank from a drift boat. So nice short leader, keep everything under controlled. Um, and then that's what I do for dry fly fishing. And then a good way to modify it too is to go to dry dropper. So I fish a lot of dry dropper on the Acma and anywhere I fish. For those of you who don't know what dry dropper is, or some people call it hopper dropper, is I run a seven and a half foot leader off my fly line. And then I have to a big bug, usually a bug that can hold up a nymph um, without drowning itself. And I go about... It depends on the water I'm fishing and the depth of the river um, or the area that I'm, I am fishing. But I'll take a fluorocarbon tippet. I use the Orbis fluorocarbon tippet. And in the Yakima, I always like to start like around two feet, two foot dropper. But I'm basically tying a, a section of tippet, uh, four or five X, to the back of my big bug that floats on the top, my big dry. And then I'm floating a small bug underneath as a nymph. Um, and like I said, your tippet size is going to vary depending on the size of the bug you were using for your dropper. But what this does is that it allows you to keep dry fly fishing and also nymph at the same time. Um, so on the, on the Yakima, you can fish up to three bugs on one line at a time. Usually with dry dropper, I'm only going to throw the one, but it allows you to fish two bugs at once and stay in the rules of however, wherever you're fishing on the Yakima. Um, so if dry fly fishing isn't doing very well and you're like, hey, man, I want to keep fishing dries. I love dries. I know my dad's like that. He won't, <laughs> he won't give up dry fly fishing. Yeah. It's 20 mile per hour wind and snowing. So um, I always try to throw a dropper on there for him and he usually starts catching fish again. So that's how I set up my dry fly rod or my dry fly rig. So seven and a half foot leader is definitely easier, especially for people that are new to fly casting. A shorter leader is going to be a lot easier to cast than a longer leader just because you have an, uh, a little bit less line that you're throwing. Um, and then, yeah, that dry dropper is a great way to, uh, cover both two different parts of the water column on surface. So fish are looking up and then if they're eating subsurface, maybe if it's, I know like, especially this time of year uh, when we were fishing squalas before the shutdown happened, we were fishing dry dropper sometime in the afternoon because we knew the fish were looking up for the squalas, uh, but maybe it wasn't red hot. But we also knew they're fishing subsurface yep. or eating subsurface. So we wanted to cover both of those bases so we can double our chances. Of yeah. Up on a the fish. other thing too, is I'll add on is, the other option, when you have a, a seven and a half foot leader and then a dry, so you're just fishing dries, instead of doing a dropper, you can also throw a second dry on. So we do that a lot on the Yakima. We'll fish a big big dry in front at the end of your leader, and then we'll have maybe a, a foot to 18-inch section uh, of nylon tippet, not fluorocarbon, because it's going to be floating on top. Um, and then we'll throw like a bluing off the back or throw a March brown off the back. So you're fishing both hatches if uh, the time is right for it. So, so yeah, like fishing a squala pattern. Yeah, like a yeah, or yeah, something. You can, <laughs> a smaller yeah. March brown. Like a yeah, totally. Lines. And you can throw two. You can throw two big bugs if you need to. Or and I know when we fish caddis later in the year, we'll do two caddis um, or a caddis and a merger. So it's yeah. it's really customizable for whatever you're doing. Um, so that's why I like doing that. And then how about our nymph rig scheme? What do you? How do you set up the nymph rig? I know this is a there's a lot going on in yeah. that rig, but if you could just quickly explain kind of what yeah. we do so there. Yeah, we'll, so we'll throw up 
try to throw up some kind of visual for you guys because our nymph rig is probably our most complicated rig we fish on the Yakima and it's really hard to explain but I'll try to do my best so nymphing just as kind of general overview so nymphing is subsurface fly fishing people call it bobber fishing with a fly rod so you have there's all types of bobbers you can fish um, but what I have is you have a small section of monofilament at the top uh, at the end of your fly line um, and then with an indicator on so that's going to be on the surface. That's what you're looking at all day is you're looking at that orange or pink bobber. Uh, we run this thing called the shotgun system. And maybe we'll throw a link on there, Kyle, for people that can go buy it. And I know sometimes they, they're not stock or they're making a lot of gear, but um, we'll try to throw the link up there so you guys have a contact point for where you can get it. Uh, and then also on our YouTube channel, I believe we do have a video of our shotgun system, don't we? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. So there's a couple visuals there. for you guys so that you guys can – follow along as i kind of explain it here but what you do is you have a i like to do like a two and a half three foot section to a weight so we use from the indicator to a weight you have about a two and a half three foot section of tippet i usually run so so real quick what do you what do you put what section of leader are you putting your indicator oh on? yeah so at the beginning that monofilament section that comes off your fly line that's what i'm going to be using at to put my indicator on so the end of that section that i just put on my fly line i'll have a an indicator on okay how long is that section uh, i'd say about i do i do use all the body length stuff but i'd say it's about two feet yeah okay, two you feet. can even go a little bit less than two like, feet. maybe eight inches so you have a, okay so you have like 18 inches to two feet of like a, a monofilament or a nylon uh connected straight to your fly line and that's the section that you're yeah yeah i just use I just get like the okay. maximum green lines. You don't have to be fancy with it. It's just like a 20 pound. I use 20 pounds. People, you can even use like a 10 pound line, but you want it to be kind of heavy um, just so it can be on the, on the water. And it's going to get a lot of, probably a lot of abuse since it's sitting on the surface of the water and it might nick up on some branches and stuff. Um, and then your indicator is going to be on it too. So it's getting a little bit of abuse. So you want it to be a little heavier. At the end of that section, you're going to start your tip section, your subsurface section. So, uh, section. So that's where I go for my depth. So I'll have two and a half to three feet of fluorocarbon. I usually use four X or three X. Um, and then I'm going to tie a surgeon's knot at the end of that to another section at about 18 inches um, of the same tip size and fluorocarbon. And on that surgeon's knot, I put my shotgun weight. Um, and that's where that weight sits. And it's not going to go past that knot because it, um, the knot's going to stop it from going down to your bugs. And this is what helps your flies get down really deep. Um, and that for a lot of times, in, uh, a lot of times of the year on the Yakima, you want your bugs to be deep by those fish. So it gets them, those bugs down quick. Um, and then I'll tie my first bug onto that second section of fluorocarbon. And then you can add a second bug behind that one as well, um, which is also, you know, 12 to 18 inches of fluorocarbon. So it's a, it's really hard to explain. Um, we could probably do a whole podcast on nymphing. Um, but we'll, we have some visuals on YouTube to help show you guys what that's all about. So, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll link that in the show notes. Make sure you guys can see that. Uh, you'll see our previous owner, Mike Kennedy. He'll be, he's got a, whole, a really good video on there of how he sets up his uh, shotgun system. So, yeah, we'll link that up. Really productive, really complicated uh, system, but it definitely and works. Kind of more of a broad statement of why we do that, that system. It's also called the right angle system. So we'll call it the shotgun system, the right angle system the 90 degree rig. Um, we do that because a lot of our guests that come out with us and even us when we go fishing, it allows you to, allows you to get your bugs down quicker. Um, and w the other option is to fish a tapered leader subsurface. The problem is that that tapered leader, even if it has a bunch of weight, it's going to sit at a 45 degree angle because it goes from big to small. Um, and, it's and it's also, also nylon. nylon. So you're, you can get fluorocarbon leaders though. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I mean, most people are using a nylon nine foot tapered leader for nymphs, and they're trying, they're tying on a heavy bug, and they think it's getting down, you know, down straight, but it's not. So that ninety degree system allows it to go straight from a heavy line, and then as soon as it goes subsurface, it becomes a smaller tippet size, so it allows those bugs to get nice and deep quickly. Because um, I know a lot of sections in the Yakima, especially when we're fishing from the boat, you're going to have a quick section of river. So like maybe there's a good hole behind a behind a uh, some down trees or there's a good hole right after the corner that is very quick. So it only allows you to fish really quick. So if you throw a taper leader in there and with maybe two heavy bugs, your flies are going to, are going to work as well as they could if they're on a shotgun system or some kind of system like the, the one we run. So. Yeah. Get it down quick and deep keeps you 
in the fish longer and makes you have a, a more productive day in the water. If you can get your flies where the fish are, you're going to catch more fish. Simple as that. Simple yeah. as that. And all of us that have weighed fish, you know the drill. Your your flies are only in the drift for like, what, five, six seconds at most? Max. Max, so yeah. you want your flies to fish well as much as you can. You want to fish it well. So um, the right angle system is a great way to do that. And like I said, there's visuals on there. Um, and if you've gone on any guide trips with us, you've definitely ran this system. So would you say, Kyle, that nymphing is probably our go-to way to fish the Acma? Yeah. That I'd and dry say, fly fishing. Yeah, that and dry fly. I'd say 85, 90% nymphing. Yeah. You think? Yeah. I mean, you can fish dry flies for 85 to 90% of the, of the time, but you're not going to catch fish 85 to 90% of the time. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so we're mostly nipping, and if even if it's a good dry fly time, uh, we're going to start the day probably nipping because the water tends to be cooler, and then we're going to switch to dry dropper or dries later in the day, um, unless it's just we start when it's a good dry fly fishing right off the bat. But most of the time we're fishing subsurface, and that's because uh, most times fish are eating subsurface. They're, they're not necessarily looking on top all the time. Um, they're expending less energy. They're they're not exposing themselves to predators as much as what they would when they eat on surface. So most of their food's coming from subsurface. So we might as well uh, put our flies subsurface. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, Kyle. Uh, let's talk about gear essentials for the Yakima. Let's say someone was coming over this weekend. I know you probably can't talk about everything they need. It's a lot of stuff they might need, but some things that will help them from having a bad weekend. Yeah, for sure. So. I mean, we've already gone over the gear, like your your tackle, basically, but you're not going to come over with just your tackle. You're going to need to bring a few other things. A net, a net's a big thing. Uh, if you're wet wading, if you're in the boat, the net is huge. Um, a net's going to make it so you're not manhandling the fish as much. Um, it's going to be way easier to get those fish in quickly and efficiently. And we want to fish with some kind of rubber bag, some kind of net that does not take the slime off of the fish and does not cut into the fish, something that's going to be fairly gentle um, on the fish when we do bring them in. It's going to make it way easier to handle them. You're going to be able to get your flies out. They're going to be able to stay wet longer. And we want to try not to handle the fish, try not to put them on the bank, keep them out of the water very long. Um, so a net's going to come in handy whether you're on the boat or whether you're on the bank fishing. When it comes to shoes, um, if you're on the bank, um, you might want something that has really good grip to the rock. So a felt, sh- a felt sole, maybe some kind of cleat, um, something that'll really stick to the rocks and help you keep traction so you're not slipping around. Um, if you're in a boat, you don't want to wear cleats. Uh, I think all of us can attest to that we hate when people wear cleats. Like we understand if you only have one pair of shoes, uh, but the cleats do tear up the bottom of our boats. Uh, so felt soles or rubber soles are preferred on the boat. Um, but you just want to make sure you have something that has good traction under the surface, uh, when you're wading around so that you do not slip and take a fall into the river. Uh, that kind of leads into, uh, whether you want to bring a pair of waders or if you want to wet wade warmer times of the year, we'll just be wearing a quick dry pant and maybe a sandal or a wading sandal. Cause we can get wet and dry off. It's hot. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but when it's cooler, we want to wear a pair of waders, um, uh, neoprenes if it's really cold or just a pair of regular breathable waders. Um, something that will keep us out of the water directly, keep us fairly dry. Um, you're also going to want to maybe bring a waiting staff if you do have some mobility issues or if you're uh, not quite 100% sure how uh, well your shoes are, how good the traction is on your shoes. A waiting staff uh, might be a really don't good be, thing to Don't bring. be ashamed to bring waiting staff. Do not be ashamed. Yeah, I have yeah, a don't. 22-year-old buddy that has a waiting staff and he takes with him all the time. So oh, yeah. it, Absolutely. it saves anyone of all ages and, and abilities. So if you need it, yeah. maybe just have one in your truck in case you need it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or what I do, whether I'm um, hiking or hunting or fishing, I like one of the first things I do is I find a stick like yeah. at, in the parking lot or I find a stick on the way to the river and I'm going to use that stick as my staff all day. That way, if I forget it somewhere or I drop it or I lose it in the river, I'm not actually losing my waiting staff, but I always have that extra, uh, a third leg, essentially. I always have that mobility aid because you never know when you're going to need it. Uh, you might cross some water that's deeper and faster than you think, and that is going to literally yeah. save your life. And all, all of us that have fished before, we've taken stumbles, 
And right before you stumble, oh, yeah. and you, you know you're going to fall. We all wish we had a waiting staff. Exactly. Exactly. Some other things you might need. Um, headlamp, if you're going to stay out late. Even if uh, you don't plan on staying out late, maybe you get lost. Some, uh, you get into some kind of emergency situation. You always want to make sure you have some kind of headlamp or flashlight or something. You can get back in the dark. Um, you're going to want to bring sunscreen if it gets hot out because uh, there have been some days and we've been out in like July oh, and yeah. August and we just get yeah. for a ride. Sunscreen is a huge thing. So make sure you bring some sunscreen. Maybe you wear some longer sleeves if you can. Uh, that way you can cover up and try to keep uh, out of the sun. Going to want to bring some bug dope, bug spray, because we do have a lot of mosquitoes on the river uh, later in the year. You don't want to get eaten up by mosquitoes if you're outside. Um, you're also going to want to bring um, some extra clothes, maybe in case you do fall in, in case the weather turns. There's been days. I remember one day in March, we had sunshine. We had wind. We had calm. We had <laughs> snow. We had rain. We had hail. It, can, it literally changed like every 10 minutes. So you want to make sure you have enough clothing uh, to accommodate to any of those weather changes. Make sure you have a light layer. Make sure you have a medium layer. Make sure you have some kind of rain shell. Just make sure that you're prepared for any of those things. Gloves, hand warmers, any of those things to make you feel more comfortable uh, in the weather that you are given. Because it, it'll change super, super fast uh, here on the Yakima. You want to make sure you're bringing snacks. You don't want to get hangry out there on the river because then you're not going to fish as well if you're hangry. I know I when yeah. I get hangry, yeah, fishing's done. done. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you also want to make sure you're staying hydrated, bringing some kind of uh, beverage on the river with you, pumping fluids in all day. That'll keep you safe, keep you thinking smart, and keep you uh, prepared to fish the rest yeah. of the day. Um, I've got a few things I can add to that, if you don't mind me saying. Yeah, uh, for sure, Keith. I know you just touched on, that, on it right at the end, but make sure you bring plenty of water uh, or plenty of fluids. Yeah. Uh, it can get hot on the Yakima. We've had some a few days. I know most of us guys, we carry three 64-ounce growlers in our in our coolers and that usually does the three of us in the boat or the four of us in the boat it keeps us pretty hydrated throughout the day but we've ran out a few times in those hot days so you're kind of in the summer you have plenty of water yeah. with you you never know if your truck's gonna break down in the canyon or something crazy so you want to make sure you have plenty of food and water uh, and you never want to drink yeah, out of the river either that. so <laughs> never never take that option never if you are if you have the option of I mean, if you're obviously going to die of dehydration, drink some of the water. But if at all costs, you not drink the water. The, the Yakima drains many agricultural fields and uh, a lot of um, livestock yeah. areas. So you don't want to drink that County's water. County is a very agricultural-based community. So Kyle is not wrong. Yeah. Um, and then in addition to that, we've had touched on this earlier too, but fishing license and ID. Make sure you have your fishing license and your ID yes. with you. If you have a fishing license, you need to have a personal or a, a, some form of identification that connects you with that fishing license. Whenever we get checked, yeah. we also get we also get asked, "How's it going, guys? Can we get a fishing license and an ID from each person?" And half the time, the guests or whoever I'm fishing with do not have their ID with them because they think they just need their fishing license. So, and then in addition to fishing yeah. license, make sure you guys bring sunglasses. I don't know, I might have missed that, but. Kyle might have said that, but sunglasses are very important. Just in March alone, I got hit three times in the glasses with flies. So you need sunglasses, both for your vision and for your protection. You do not want to go home to your yes. wife or your boyfriend or whoever you have with an eye out because you had to go to the hospital. Um, so make sure you bring sunglasses. You're going to want them. And I always carry like three or four extra pairs in my, in my truck just because you never know if you're going to drop them on the walk-in or – uh, your buddy needs one or whatever. So um, you're always going to want a spare with you as well. And something to clean them with too. That's always um, under or never really talked about, but you want to make sure you have something to clean them with other than your shirt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and then the last thing I was going to say is make sure you have something that can make a lot, lot, a lot of noise. And in Montana, probably you're going to have it for bears and, <laughs> and moose, but here in yeah. Washington, it's for making sure you're being safe. So, I know when we get checked by Department of Fish and Wildlife, we get checked and make sure we have life jackets and we make sure we have uh, whistles and fishing licenses. So whistle is a big one. We'll get a big fine if, we have, if us guys don't have whistles, but I think it's important for everyone to carry one. And I know a lot of people have like lanyards. They have all their gear on and tip it and forceps and stuff. It's just throwing us extra whistle on there. I think you get one by Mart or at Fred Meyer for like two bucks. So it's worth it. Yeah. You can save your life. Yeah. 
Um, so just have it with you. Um, it's, it's a great thing to have. Yeah. Uh, there was a time last year, I believe, um, I did have to, uh, help somebody that was on the river. Um, and I barely heard mm-hmm. them, um, calling for help. And if they had had a whistle, I might've been able to hear them a little better and get help to them a little bit yeah. faster. Um, but yeah, a whistle can definitely save your was life. Was that the time so. at Bighorn when I was with you? Uh, no, I was actually, I was on a trip. Okay. Um, um, we had just pulled over for, for lunch and a, a gentleman, um, uh, I think he was inebriated. Um, and he was on the opposite bank, um, kind of like up in some trees and he had like fallen out of his oh, raft man. or something. And he was calling for help and, uh, I could barely hear him on the wind, but I, I finally saw him and got him help. Uh, sheriff's office came on, they, they yeah, helped him yeah. out. But, um, yeah, if he had a whistle, I probably could have got to him directly um and maybe help him that way but nope. yeah definitely definitely take precautions and if you can maybe that might be next some extra gear but make sure that you are taking all the steps possible to be safe out there yeah for sure safety is very important yeah because it's not just yourself you're putting at risk it's also the people that are um coming to help you that you're putting at risk for so sure, just remember for that. Sure. all right kyle i'm going to wrap it up with our guide questions yeah so kind of what we're gonna be doing (laughs) yeah kind of at the end of each of these podcasts we're gonna have a question for each other we don't know what the other person's gonna ask that's gonna kind of relate either to this episode or to the uh, next episode um but we're each gonna ask each other a question and we have to come up with the answer on the spot yeah no problem all right (laughs) do you want do you want me to ask you or do you want to ask me Uh, first i'll go I'll, i'll go first i'll i'll ask you the question Okay. Okay. Um, and then I actually uh, just thought of this, but and this might be a good thing to do. Um, we could put on when we start making up more episodes, we can have people maybe suggest questions or we can yeah, answer absolutely, yeah. or like you know people from Instagram or questions that people have that pr- they propose on Instagram or whatever. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, Kyle, you ready? Yes. All right. All right. Shoot, shoot. Here we Let's go. go. Let's go. If you were starting to fly fish tomorrow, what advice would you give yourself in regards to gear? If you had the knowledge you have now and you're Ooh. starting to fly fish tomorrow, what, what advice would you give yourself in regards to gear? Oh, man. Um, I would honestly say in regards to gear, if you are serious about fly fishing, do not start with the cheapest uh lowest price gear that you can get away with i would agree um because if you're getting into fly fishing you want to stick with fly fishing you're going to quickly outgrow your gear and you're going to spend way more money in the future uh, by purchasing uh upgrading your rod maybe every year every two years you're going to spend way more money than if you just spent that money up front um take that hit initially but you're gonna you're in the long run you're gonna save a little money um and i know that it's not might not be feasible for a lot of people um but if you can try to spend that little bit extra money and buy the gear that's gonna last you a while i know i've i went through cheap waders after cheap waders every year i'd be going through a pair of waders i'm on a pair of waders right now this is my third season my third guide season on these waders it's because i spend a little bit more money than going buying like a 50 60 pair every single year same thing with rods i've upgraded rods a lot so if you can just take that hit and it'll last a lot longer same thing with maybe sunglasses same thing with um shoes and, and yeah if your stuff. budget allows you, you might as well yeah uh, if your budget allows you the one right. thing to remember though i think is good to add on to that for people that are just you know start who are listening that are just starting to fly fish mm-hmm. is that the 20 dollar rod from bymart or from walmart or wherever you're going will get you fishing but yeah. what kyle's saying is that if you are serious about fly fishing, get some information and get good gear. It's it's going to pay off Absolutely. in the long run. Yeah, do your research. Go to a local fly shop. Ask them for help. I guess that's another thing, too, is if I were getting into fly fishing, um, I would want to go straight to a fly shop and tell, tell them what you want to do, where you're fishing, what you want to catch, and they're going to set you up and let them set you up. They know what they're doing. Let them set you up, and uh, you'll be ready to go. That way you're not kind of piecing things yep. together. Go ask for help. Go get knowledge, and um, 
Don't be afraid. Yeah, to ask don't, yeah. Don't be afraid to throw, throw your budget in there too. Like, let them know how much money you are willing yeah. to spend today, or how much money you have to spend on a certain. You know, if you're going in there for a fly rod, how much money can you spend on a fly rod? Because they're going to sh- go to a certain section and help you out. Exactly. But they won't use budget as the only thing. At least the stores that we go to, they're not going to use budget as the only thing to help you guys make a choice. All right, Kyle, you got a question for me? Yeah, I do. Um, If you were going to go out and say fishing was open right now, if you were going to go out and just wade fish, what section of the river would you go to? That's funny you asked this question because I have two questions written down here, and the other question was this question for you. Yeah. Really? All right. Quick answer. Ready? So yep. we have a family friend cabin, family friends cabin here in Ellensburg. And we use it quite a bit. And it's in the farmland section. So like the town, like the town area. Um, so if I had to go wade fish, it would be Irene Riverfront Park. Irene Reinhardt Riverfront Park. Uh, it's off on Tandem Road right there in downtown. It's a great place to go. You do not, you do not need a parking pass. It's like one of the only places on the river. Is it the only place on the river you don't need a parking pass? Okay, I think so. Uh, Except unless you just like pull yeah, off, and yeah, pull out. you're doing the yeah. pull off in the canyon. But yeah, the, the Irene Riverfront Park is like the only place you can park without a parking pass because it's it's managed by the city of Ellensburg. Yeah. So it's on the very far, what would that be, southwest corner of Ellensburg. So um, yep, it's managed by the city, so you don't need a parking pass. And why I would go there is just because it, I spent a lot of time there as a kid and. We moved over here for school. I spent a lot of time waiting there. So I always get flashbacks when I go fish there. And it's in the farmlands too. It's wooded. It's away from the city. You don't hear a lot of stuff. You don't hear cars going by. Um, and it's a lot of people walk their dogs. There's kind of a peaceful place to fish. And um, I'd be happy with going there and catching no fish. It's a great place to be. And there's a lot of waiting opportunity in there. I mean, what I, I always say like there's a mile of river, but there's probably more than that. But there's a lot of waiting to be had. I mean, you can spend a whole day waiting there. Yeah. There's just a lot of gravel bars, a lot of access yeah. to the easy access. Yeah, and in the, the fall, in the spring, just maybe even in the summer. I don't know if I've ever done it in the summer, but you can cross the river in there pretty safely, especially yeah. if you have a waiting stab or something. But yeah, if I had to say pick one spot to go wade fish, be there, and also because it's close to my place, <laughs> I can get there. Quick. Yeah, yeah. You it's... know, usually when we go fun fishing, we're in the boat. So it, usually, if you have less than two hours, you're going to want to go wade fishing instead of floating. I would say yeah. even less than three hours. Just get out there, go wade fish close to town, right off the interstate. It's a good place to be. And it's it's well known, so you're probably going to run into some a few folks, but everybody's usually pretty respectful. And just great water back there. Have great hatches, and it's good fishing. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Keegan. Well, with that, um, I think we should probably peace out and sign out from this. Um, yeah. We'll catch. I, I agree. Let's uh, end it here, and then uh, we'll uh, have another podcast for you guys soon. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, everybody. Make sure that you are following the podcast. Uh, you'll get updated whenever these episodes come out. Also, make sure to uh, find us on YouTube. Subscribe to our channel. Hit notification bell. You'll get notified whenever our river reports or fly time videos are uploaded. Also, make sure to uh, like and follow us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening today, and we'll catch you on the next episode. All right, guys. Tune in to the Ellensburg Angler podcast every Monday and Thursday for new episodes. Submit your questions on our social media to get answered on an episode by your hosts, Keegan and Kyle. As always, tight lines, and we will catch you on the next episode.